Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. And a sultry one it is out there this morning. Yeah, I'm just about to get tired of this. Jeez, get on out of here, heat. Bring on the fall. And it, it's rain. not so bad in the daytime. I mean, you really? I, I understand if you're outside having to work in the out of doors, it's miserable. But yeah, for a lot of people that work inside, they, they got a little AC, maybe got a fan or something, so that the daytime's not so bad. Okay. What I can't stand is it's two hours, three hours, four hours after the sun goes down. It's ten thirty, eleven thirty at night, and the heat index is still up around a hundred. Yeah, that is miserable. I totally agree. Because you expect when the night falls it to cool off a bit, but I think that's because we've had uh, more haze during the day that seems to linger in the evening. No wind. We had a little bit of that, at least last week. Had some some breeze that to offset. But nonetheless, that's what it is, and that's what we're going to have to deal with here in the Magnolia State. I'm ready for it to get on out of here. I think most folks are. Uh, I am grateful that we get to work here in the nice and cool air-conditioned studio. Except that wasn't the case when I traveled to to uh, West Point, but it wasn't bad. They had me all set up with the fans. Scary Gary, though, he worked pretty hard. I helped him break all that stuff down afterward and worked up quite a sweat doing that, as you well know. It's a, folks don't yeah, know. Yeah, don't do take that, long to work up a lather. No, it's a bunch of work to put those deals together. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, folks, when we come on the air and, and um, you know, it just seems like normal, which is great. That's what we want it to be. But I can assure you there's a whole lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to produce those remotes. I mean, to produce a show every day. But in particular, when you set up the Element Well studio remotely. Uh, for a couple of hours there. And I tell you, the other thing is, especially when it's hot, boy, Scary Gary gets to work taking the set apart so he can pack it up and get on the road. If I sit in that chair too long, I'm pretty sure he just <laughs> rip it out from under me. He's ready to go. I certainly get it. Uh, yeah, it's, cra- it's crazy. You know, there's a house a couple down from mine I noticed last week during the boiling heat installing a new roof 
and you see those workers up there, and they get going, I can hear them, you know, with the hammers, 3 o'clock, I mean 3 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning, and then they're there till dark. How hot is it on that roof? Oh, it's insanely miserable. And it's fairly steep, this particular house. It's a fairly steep roof, I noticed. It's a two-story house, so you're on up there. Man, that's something. But they blitz it. You're closer it. to the sun, and you're getting baked by the shingles. That's correct. But they blitz it. I mean, it, you know, each worker's got their little patch, and they knock that whole thing out in two days. I mean, it's incredible. It's very impressive watching them work, too, because there's no hesitation. It's just, boom, pull the old one off, put the new one on. I mean, just really fast. Uh, expert craftsman. All I'm saying is, I understand it's August in Mississippi, so you, you expect heat when the sun's up. Yeah. It's just miserable when the sun goes down. It's like, well, where's the relief? I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that. All right, so we got Dr. Joe Paul, president of the University of Southern Mississippi, on the program at 10.35. We will get uh, an update from Dr. Paul as the students are back in class, I believe. Back on the campus, back in class. I know housing. We'll ask Dr. Paul about that. Housing is an issue across the nation, honestly, student housing. And one of the things that I saw in one of the business uh, publications where I know is that the cost of off-campus apartments has soared so much that those who typically would rent an apartment, usually with a roommate or two or three, can't afford it. And so now they're seeking housing on campus, which is typically less expensive of course, you don't have quite the amenities that you do in a uh, in, in an apartment. You say that. Well, it depends on the you know which if the building dorm you get was in. Built in the last fifteen years, it's it's nicer different. than most apartments. I I, I agree. Uh, you're likely not to have a pool in a common area and, and barbecue pits and stuff like that. But you might. I don't know. I haven't. No, you know. but you've got in-unit ACs and That's key true. card entry and all kind of fun stuff. That's true. They've improved that dramatically. Uh, but, nonetheless, that's causing a housing shortage such that now the universities and schools are cutting deals with the apartment complexes to house their students because they don't have enough space for them in college, the college housing operated by the university. All right, the debate last night, and speaking of which, at 11.05, our friend Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur and Supertalk Mississippi column contributor, he's already shot an article out there on Supertalk Mississippi News. We'll dig into that. But uh, the debates, the first thing I noticed is that everybody was dressed like Donald Trump. It's like, I'm going to wear a Navy suit and a red tie and a white shirt. You notice that? I think every one of them. Of course, the exception being Nikki Haley, uh, who's dressed rather smartly in a in a professional outfit suit for a female, but that's the first thing I noticed. Now, you're taught that red ties, dark suits, blue suits, those that's the power look, right? So when you're when you're wanting to impress whomever you're speaking to, if that's what you're doing that day, presenting to, that's the typical. Attire, no secret there. It's been around a long time, but every one of them had it on. That's that's unusual, and it's it's like you know that worked pretty well for Trump because that's kind of his signature. 
He's typically in, in fact, I don't know that I've ever seen him wear anything but a navy blue suit from a suit perspective. He'll have, he has four or five ties, but from a suit perspective, navy blue. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything but that. You're thinking about it. I, I, uh, not during his time as a politician. No. Right. Agree. Agree. I would agree with that. I'm just trying to remember in his cameo for Home Alone 2, was he wearing a navy blue suit or was that a black suit? <laughs> We'd have to look at that. Now, before he entered politics, he would frequently wear a very bright pink tie. Remember that? I don't see it too much on him since then. It's typically the red, the blue, and he's got a couple of stripes. You rarely ever see him in a light blue tie, which was the favorite of Barack Obama. And to a great extent, Joe Biden. He wears light blue ties a lot. I don't know why. They just does. Ronald Reagan typically was in brown. It, it kind of fit his, his look, his complexion. It was also the 80s. Yeah. Earth tones are really big. That's exactly right. In, in men and women's clothes back, to, back in those days. We went through the pastel phase, the earth, the earth tone phase. You're right. But in the day glow phase. That's true. Uh, I still have some polo shirts that are in the day glow look. But I but I noticed stuff like that, you know, being kind of the closed nut that I am. Whereas I I hadn't even noticed they were all wearing the same thing <laughs> until somebody pointed it out. So I will also tell you folks um, that Donald Trump's ties, Italo Ferretti. I have a couple. <laughs> I have the exact red tie, and you can you can order them custom made. By that I mean the length. And the width. You can select the width you want at the widest point. Oh, so you can point. get like one of those eight-inch wide clown ties. <laughs> you could. And if you ever notice, his are unusually long. And there, there's been some write-ups about why he wears them like that. I mean, they're like past. I try to wear mine so that the bottom of my tie is right above my belt buckle. Didn't but if, Freud have some thoughts about that? I think that's right. <laughs> 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 Ooh, we're getting deep now, aren't we? So, Well, that's the first thing I noticed. They all look like Donald Trump clones to that extent. Um, a lot of other stuff happened. I mean, it, we could spend the entire day just analyzing the debate. Overall, I didn't think it was that great. I don't know why. I just didn't come away thinking, wow, that just blew me away. That was fantastic. I will say this. I would support any of those eight over the current holder of the office of president in this country. Any one of them. I believe would be orders of magnitude, and I'm not excluding Donald Trump from that either. Whomever wins the nomination, that's who I'm voting for. Hadn't made up my mind yet as far as who I'll support in the primary, and let's let's think about it. In Mississippi, at least, that doesn't occur till next March, so we got some time. I think we're likely to see two candidates. Probably drop out, and usually after last night, and usually that happens because their donors just kind of shut the pocketbooks out on them and see, yeah, I don't see a path. I don't want to keep investing in this. I invested to get you there, but uh, now I think I'm out of here. It's time for a break. Man, we got a lot to talk about today with the debate last night. We'll come back and discuss it. Also, Donald Trump scheduled to surrender to Fulton County authorities today. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
Welcome back, everyone. Middays, we're in the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The C Spire text line 601 879 Four three nine five. Also, the Sports Talk Mississippi Gang will be at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College in Perkinston today. They'll be kicking off the Meet the Bulldogs night. Plus, you'll hear about the great things going on at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. MGCC is a great place. Um, all right, so I thought there was a lot of zingers, and everybody waits for that perfect moment. And, of course, you know all the consultants have sat around for hours thinking about what's a zinger or two we can inject into the proceedings. It made Pence look a little pathetic when he he had his pre-canned abortion zinger that he, he'd, he'd practiced and practiced, and he had to worm his way yeah. into that question to get it out. Yeah, and that, that was part of the problem is, like, when's the appropriate time? Because you can't always rely on the, the moderators asking a, a question which just opens that door up, sets the stage for it's just perfect to do it. But I personally thought Nikki Haley had the best zinger of the night. And not only that, I'll go out perhaps on a limb a bit and say she improved her status more than any other candidate. But we got some sound for you from Nikki Haley. to turn around this economy that we've heard all of these voters talking about tonight. Then Mr. Ramaswamy, who is a successful entrepreneur nationally right now, he's beating you in the polls. Well, I don't care about polls. What I care about the fact is that no one is telling the American people the truth. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill, they left us with 90 million people on Medicaid, 42 million people on food stamps. No one has told you how to fix it. I'll tell you how to fix it. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in. And they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, you've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. And so at the end of the day, you look at the 2024 budget, Republicans asked for $7.4 in earmarks. Democrats asked for $2.8 billion. So you tell me who are the big spenders. I think it's time for an accountant in the White House. Vice President Pence. That was the zinger I liked. It's time for an accountant in the White House. <laughs> uh, I thought that was well put, honestly. She, uh, she pulled no punches. Now, again, it's easy to say, we've got to cut the spending. But when you ask any of them, specifically, what spending do you want to cut? You won't get an answer. Because even she, when discussing as an example of where I'm going with this, on the topic of abortion, con- rather controversial, and knew it would be. Because we've kind of shifted away from, uh, we as in Republicans, looking at all these candidates, we shifted away from this idea that life begins at conception. 
And we've got to protect it from that point on. Now it's even evangelical Christian churchy Mike Pence says 15 weeks. And he said it last night. You know, something we've talked about on the program many times, uh, Rido. You wouldn't expect that. 15 weeks. And what he said was he believes that a baby can't feel pain. It's, it's at least scientists, I think, generally agree on that. Can't feel pain until that point. Therefore, he's okay with it up to then. And supports federal legislation, a federal ban after that point. What Nikki Haley said that not only was practical, but it, it, it hues with what we've said on this program so many times. She said it. You're crazy. We got to have 60 votes in the Senate to make that happen. We don't have that many in the Senate that would go along with that, especially if it remains like it is now, essentially evenly split. You'd have to get every Republican plus 10 Democrats to go on to get on board with a 15-week federal ban. Not happening. That's what she said. All right, let's talk about spending. Just as we discussed with Congressman Michael Guest yesterday, I'm just sharing the facts here, and this is something that frustrates me because we can't get anybody to, to acknowledge it in a way that they'll really dig into it at a detail level. you got 70% of spending that you cannot alter without 60 votes in the Senate. 70%. That leaves 30. That so-called discretionary spending that is funded annually, either through a continuing resolution or these 12 appropriations bills, or most typically those get lumped together into one big omnibus spending package. That's what we did last time, last December, right before the, uh, the new Congress was seated in January. Okay, so Republicans say we can't touch defense. That's 15%. That's half of the 30. Now you got 15% of non-defense spending. What do you want to cut there? And you could cut every dime of it. Every dime. That's what's sad. Every dime and still have a $1.3 trillion deficit. Every dime. Get rid of every department. Every department. All you got is a Department of Defense, a military, and the bare minimum to cut checks to Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and pay interest. Get rid of the DOJ. Get rid of the FBI. Get rid of the EPA. Get rid of the Department of, of Energy. Get rid of the Department of Education. You've still got a $1.3 trillion. Get rid of the IRS. Still got a $1.3 trillion deficit. Nobody will talk in these terms. Just be honest about it. But at least Nikki did say, you've got to have 60 votes. She's right. Absolutely. But she said, oh, we gotta, we got to rein in the spending. And she, okay, she points out, as we did. You remember when the omnibus bill passed, Rhino? We went through those earmarks, and we found that in the top ten in the Senate who got big-time earmarks, seven of them were Republicans. Top four were Republicans all retiring. Topping the list, our neighbor to the east, Senator Richard Shelby. $600 million 
couple of buildings with his name on it and all that kind of crap. And you remember, he was so flippant about it. I don't care. I'm going home to just run errands for the wife. I don't care. So she's right. She points out, okay, they got $7 billion of earmarks versus $2.4. billion, though, Governor, Ambassador, that ain't jack squat, honestly. We're running $2 trillion deficits. You're talking about $7 billion. I get your point. I agree. Republicans have not been fiscally responsible either. So I'll share this with you. This is a tweet, actually a Facebook post, from our buddy, old Robert Reich. Republicans on the debate stage tonight wouldn't stop talking about the national debt. But they glossed over the fact that the GOP happily added $8 trillion, you just heard Nikki talking about it, under Trump. About a quarter of that resulting from tax cuts for the wealthy and big corporations. Wrong, 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 wrong. And I go look at the comments on this. This is what bothers me, guys. And these leftist people that absolutely praise Robert Reich. Yeah, 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 they should go crazy. And I said that's just wrong. It's, I said it's categorically false. And several of them, Rhino, started throwing their comments out there. Well, leave it to a Trump supporter to just put a statement out there with no, no facts to back it up. And I, and I wrote something pretty long, and I said, you know what, waste of time. First, they won't understand it. Secondly, they'll, they'll try to refute it. And so well, they vote Democrat. Of course, they can't understand economics. <laughs> it's just simple math. My gosh. So I'm going to remind you again Biden has already racked up $5.8 trillion in deficits. And that's with a year and two months, 14 months left. Now, the source of my data the United States Department of Treasury. I don't go make this stuff up or read it in. All these far-right, obscure, conservative rags. No, I get it from the U.S. Department of Treasury. Now, if that's wrong, blame it on Joe Biden. They report to him. It's their data. I'm not defending any of the the deficits or the debt generated under Trump, but we got to be honest about it. And I'll get into that more later on in the show. Coming up next, Dr. Joe Paul, president of University of Southern Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. All right, the king of rock and roll bumping us into this segment here on the Middays. We appreciate you joining us. And joining us now, Dr. Joe Paul, the president of the University of Southern Mississippi. Dr. Paul, good morning. Thanks for joining us, sir. Hey, check your mute there, Dr. Paul. Check your mute there, Dr. Paul. We can't hear you.
Okay. All right. So we're going to get uh, Dr. Paul back uh, on the line. I think at this point we are uh, trying to get the audio going, had the video going. So we were uh, looking at a couple of texts here on the ceasefire text line. Charles and Matheson says that's called the IBM look in the 80s. Yeah, very familiar with that, Charles. They did, in fact, require, didn't have to be a blue suit, it was a dark suit um, and a white shirt. They didn't really specify the tie, but they did sort of prefer red. But yeah, uh, when I worked for Arthur Anderson, it was dead wear suit, couldn't wear a sport coat. Didn't specify the the uh, the colors, but uh, even, and then when you were in, I want to say New York or Chicago, had to be a three-piece suit had to wear. I couldn't afford it. I had to go borrow money from my dad to buy the clothes to go to work. Uh, somebody said, Herschel said, the guy with the RNC this morning on with Lucian Smith said the attire was an RNC requirement of the male candidates. Okay. Well, that kind of makes sense that it was, uh, I guess, specified dress for the event. How about that? Donald Trump wore a blue suit with a red striped tie in Home Alone 2, per Google image. Well, there you go. Not surprising. Had the blue suit. All right. We getting Dr. Paul? All right. We can hear you now, Dr. Paul. All right. All right. So, um, all right, back in school, right? Are we, uh, have classes begun yet? Uh, absolutely, Gerard. We uh, uh, began classes on Monday. Uh, a little bit of a warm uh, uh, walk for some folks, but uh, uh, we're off and running. And, of course, you know, the, the campus was hopping for two or three weeks before. There's nothing like the fall. The football team comes back. Yeah. The pride marching band comes back. Sorority recruitment's going on. Resident assistants are moving in. So, uh, you know, one of the beauties of this work is you've got these marvelous, exciting beginnings. And, you know, and, and then these frequent endings in terms of commencement. So yeah. it's a great time of year to be in higher ed. Yeah. So I was talking earlier today, Dr. Paul, about some reports I've seen that uh, indicate there's, uh, there's, there's housing shortages across the, this country's colleges and universities because the price of off-campus housing, apartments that right. lots of students would live in, is is up quite a bit, and that's due to various economic factors. And so there's there's excess demand for on-campus housing, and that's causing some issues. How's that affecting you guys? Uh, well, it has affected us this fall. We've yeah. been able to manage it. But um, uh, so we've got a 5% increase in freshmen and a 5% increase in new uh, transfer students, most, mostly community college students. So every, every residence hall bed on our campus is full. Uh, we've got 77 people in temporary housing uh, that, that we're working with. So it is interesting because at the same time, you know, there's a national decline in the number of high school yeah. graduates. Yeah. And, in fact, it hits a cliff, as they call it, in 2025. And that's uh, um, that's wow. true in Mississippi, Louisiana, and, and Alabama as well. So, Wow. So that's your pipeline. I mean, that uh... – uh, that uh, would seem to make the comp- competition for prospective students even uh, that more intense, right? Oh, it, it, it absolutely does. Um, you know, and, and, and we're determined to grow here. We've got capacity to grow. And so for us, it's all about, uh, in terms of student recruitment strategy, 
processes, making it easy for students, investment, and then effort. And so I spent a lot of time last year, you know, even when I was interim Gerard before being named permanently in November 1, yeah. I visited 16 high schools and 12 community colleges. And, you know, it's just a great story here, and, and I want to get out there and tell it. Yeah. So what kind of feedback and, and reception do you get, Dr. Paul, in your travels? And I know that's one of the primary functions of of uh, your function there as the president of the university is to promote, serve as an ambassador, get out and about across the state and beyond, especially in the in the high school environment. What do you hear? Well, it, we were tremendously well received. It was really a lot of fun. And, um, you know, the, the unique story for us to tell is that you know, here we are, a Carnegie Research One Extensive University uh, that's a little bit different than all the others in terms of smaller class sizes, a lot of personal attention for our students. And then we talk about our unique culture. Southern Miss has always been a place uh, where, where we sort of punch above our weight. We call it Southern Miss Grit, Gerard. <laughs> uh, at Southern Miss, our students, our faculty, our staff, our alums set these audacious goals and then we pursue them with uncommon passion and just a relentless persistence. And it's, it's really become a part of who we are. And that story resonates with people. They want to come and be a part of that. Yeah. And you've got some very unique programs as well at the university. You and I discussed those uh, last time uh, we did a remote uh, uh, down there in Hattiesburg. Tell us about that. Well, there's so many, but I'll, I'll highlight uh, some of the real top drawer aspects. Uh, most people know that we've got one of the top five polymer science and engineering programs uh, in the nation and was one of the first. Yeah. Way back in the day, Dr. Shelby Thames uh, came back home with a Ph.D. in chemistry from Tennessee and started using tongue oil that was abundant in Mississippi uh, to form coatings and plastics. And now, 50 years later, we've got one of the foremost programs in the country. Hmm. And those graduates have such options in terms of uh, – making a really, really good living and have an extraordinary life. One of the programs that's really taken off to our now is along our Mississippi Gulf Coast. Uh, we've got one of very few ocean science engineering degrees at both the undergraduate and the graduate level. And this, this blue economy that you folks are talking about is not something that's way out there in the future. It's out there right now. Yeah. And with our research across the Gulf Coast, We've got research entities in marine science and hydrographic science at Stennis. Uh, we're very active in the port of Gulfport and ocean science engineering. You move over into Jackson County, you're talking about marine uh, science and fisheries and those sorts of things. And it's predicted that that blue economy globally will, will grow by like $3 trillion over the next 10 years. Wow. And we've already placed two corporations in the port of Gulfport uh, that came directly to work with our, our scientists in the area of unmanned or uncrewed uh, surface and subsurface um, uh, vessels, deep water vessels as well. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the one in particular I, I was referring to that I wasn't even aware of until you discussed it with us. i got to believe, Dr. Paul, you're getting folks interested in this from across not only the country but the world. Yeah, it's really true. Um, so the hydrographic science program, you know, which is basically does very sophisticated ocean mapping and those sorts of things. Um, literally, students are coming from all over the world, paid for often by their military, their navies, or their government yeah. uh, to receive that degree. That's absolutely right. What's total enrollment this year, Dr. Paul? Well, we won't know total enrollment 
uh, for a while. It takes a while for that to shake out. Yeah. But as I, I said earlier, the really encouraging thing is that we are up by 5% in, in new freshmen and new sophomores. That's how you build it. Um, graduate school looks good. Uh, Gulf Park looks good. So we're optimistic about that. And, you know, it's also uh, football season. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> how you feel about that? Oh, I feel great about it. You know, this young coach of ours, Will Hall, you know, his dad yeah. is the legendary Bobby Hall, right. uh, high school uh, legend, is such a dynamic, energetic, positive coach. I call him Mississippi's Ted Lasso. But he knows his stuff, and this is his third year. So if you think about it now, he's, he's kind of got things in place. Yeah. So he's got more depth. He's got more folks in the – you know, it's remarkable last year where he won seven games without a healthy quarterback. Yeah, um, and so we're very we will welcome Alcorn State uh, a week from Saturday. Okay. That's always a lot of fun. Uh, they have great fans, great camaraderie. We get to see the Alcorn Band and the Pride of Mississippi, and then we'll go on from there. Uh, our next home game is with Tulane, which is preseason ranked in the top twenty. Sure are. Uh, who finished in the top ten last year and who we beat last year? So, yeah, yeah. It's an exciting time for that. Well, what about your instructional staff, uh, Doctor Paul? You looking good there? You know, I could not be more proud of the faculty at Southern Miss. Um, you know, people ask me when I came back last year, what's the, what's the biggest prize, the biggest positive? You know, we had a great faculty when I worked here before, yeah. but they're even better. And, and what, I, what I mean is that, that they, our faculty do some things that are pretty unique. Yeah. One is it's our faculty that creates that Research One status. Yeah. You know, without a med school, without agriculture, our faculty brought in between 120 and 100 million dollars a year over the last few years. That's awesome. That's remarkable. Yeah. But here's the thing that's unusual: they're not just research faculty. They care about teaching and learning. We've got a uh, good to hear uh, a lot of uh, opportunities for faculty to do development on the campus to improve their teaching, but it's strictly voluntary. That's awesome. And Dr. Paul, we got, of our faculty. we got to go. I appreciate okay. it, man. It sounds like things are great. We appreciate your leadership at the University of Southern Mississippi. We'll talk soon, sir. Thanks. Okay, Javar. Thank you. Yes, sir. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Any life are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Scrolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Bumping us into this segment here, the great Lou Graham on the vocals. Appreciate that, Rhino. We're back in the Element Wealth Studio. So, just thinking about college and the excitement surrounding certainly being a, a freshman. Can you say that now, freshman? Or do you get canceled for that? Oh, know. I'm sure somebody's panty gets in a twist. <laughs> well, it's crazy stuff, though. At Yale, you know about Yale. The police union, the Yale Police Union, that's what it's called, in New Haven, 
where the school in Connecticut, where the school is located, they shared a public safety flyer that includes an image of the Grim Reaper that is posted prominently so students can see it as they arrive on the campus of the Ivy League school. These pamphlets say crime is getting worse in southern Connecticut, where they are. And there's some rather disturbing and inflammatory rhetoric concerning the safety of Yale's campus. And they say it's designed to create fear among new students and their families. It, uh, the flyer states that murders have doubled, this is a quote, murders have doubled, burglaries are up 33%, and motor vehicle thefts are up 56%. That's statistics directly from the New Haven Police Department. Now, something that reminds me of here, Rhino, is, and I'm looking at, it's just as crazy, I'm looking at, like, the big flyer that's posted right there at the entrance of of Yale with this information and it's some suggestions like don't walk alone and and um, re- remain on campus don't venture outside of the campus I mean that's terrible isn't it you go to school but you're told by the police department don't go to town we can't guarantee your safety well I, I got into a bit of a, a Twitter debate when I responded to this call, a tweet from Joe Biden for gun control. And it was kind of silly what he was calling for. You know, it's always expanded background checks. It's the same old tired stuff and um, ending the sale of high-capacity magazines and what they think are assault rifles and stuff like that. I just basically said, you know, It's moral decay (laughs) is our problem. And we could point to a lot of reasons. And all the loser leftist trolls lost their mind. We're crazy. And and they try to make this statement about, well, why isn't that the case in France and Europe and Germany? And I know I went through that a little bit the other day, but they started sending me all these articles in an effort, I guess, to persuade me to see it the way Joe does about All this investment Joe's made in law enforcement, how he's pro-law enforcement and, and, um, you know, pro-citizen safety and all this sort of stuff. And I just said, look, there's no question crime is up. It's ravaging America's cities, especially the blue cities, who have, in effect, decriminalized crime. And they keep sending me all this crazy data, like... Okay, well, what about this? Yale, certainly no conservative bastion. Connecticut, one of the bluest states, maybe the second bluest to Hawaii, of the 50. It's because in order to be dumb enough to vote Democrat, you have to have your head in the sand or up your own hind end. (laughs) So you got the police department here saying, stay off the streets after 8, don't walk alone, avoid public transportation, and remain on campus. Yet, I'm the crazy one for pointing out that this country is under a surge of crime. 
And a great deal of that's because Joe Biden and the Democrats rationalize it, justify it, condone it, have no interest in punishing. How many of them up there have said, let's just empty the prisons, dismantle the police? That whole nonsense got started on the heels of the George Floyd incident, and it has changed this country dramatically for the worst, especially in those cities. How can they not recognize that? I, they're voting enough. They're dumb enough to vote Democrat. Well, I mean, here it is. It's just sheer stupidity on their part. I, I can't get over it. Well, it's like Robert Reich. I'm gonna dig into that later on in his assertions about the Trump tax cuts. That's why we've produced these deficits. It's just totally wrong. Totally wrong. Of course, Democrats believe all money originates with the government. Anything you keep, it's out of their their generosity, their charity, their altruism. But it belongs to them, the likes of Robert Wright. We're coming right back after the news with Ashley Edwards. We'll dig into the debate. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. Joining us now, Ashley Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur and a super top Mississippi news column contributor. All right, Ashley, we uh, we saw it all unfold last night for two hours. <laughs> for those of us who are political junkies, it was, uh, I guess, the drug we've been waiting for to kick off uh, the presidential election season. I read your article. Uh, I largely agreed with you. Uh, and I will say, that, and, and I think this is what you were trying to say, and then I'll, I'll be quiet and let you and tell us uh, in your own words what it was. But I said earlier, I thought Nikki Haley performed better than any of the candidates relative to expectations. And I thought that her stock went up more than any other candidate. Uh, I've been a fan of Vivek Ramaswamy for some time. I, I got, I guess, first introduced to Mr. Ramaswamy when he wrote the book Woke Inc. And that was uh, in 2020. And he started exposing all this ridiculous DEI stuff that had just gripped corporate America. And, and ever since then, I've been a fan, and I've followed, read both his books, uh, Nation of Victims, another great one, that aligns very closely with my views from a cultural perspective. But I thought he got a little snarky last night, honestly. And I don't know that he helped his cause. But go ahead and tell us what your thoughts were, and if I kind of interpreted your article accurately. I think you're completely accurate on that, Gerard. Um, I, I mean, I think you're right. It's all sort of a relative metric of who has the most to gain, who has the most to lose, how do they perform relative to that. When you judge it by that, I think Nikki Haley probably did the most to help herself last night. You know, let's not forget Nikki Haley was one of the first candidates in this race. 
and has been almost not talked about at all for months and months now. She had really sort of solidified her place amongst the also-rans. You did not hear Nikki Haley's name on any of the national news or cable news shows. And that really all changed as a result of that debate performance. And yeah. so when you judge it relative to who was getting the attention before the debate kicked off last night and who was getting the attention afterwards, I think she did the most to help herself. Ramaswamy, it was really his coming out party in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you've mentioned before that he's been rising up the polls. You know, I think he's sort of the unknown commodity in the race. Uh, he's got a, a following online, people like you have, who have read his books, who watch his videos, and they know him very well. But I think last night was his introduction to the broader party. Uh, and if you're his camp, I think you walk away very happy with his performance, too, because it got attention. You know, he's he's being talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, what's the thing? Just make sure you spell my name right. I mean, <laughs> all, all, all uh, publicity is good publicity at, at this point in the campaign. So... Um, but I tell you, the, the thing that really struck me, Gerard, watching it unfold last night, and I, and I don't think you can overstate how important it is and how much it changes the dynamic to see those candidates on a stage standing next to each other, engaging with each other. Yeah, It just takes on a totally different tone, a totally different feel than the normal campaign trail stuff. And so, um, you know, it was interesting to kind of watch that dynamic and who sort of solidified themselves I will tell you, I disagree with almost the entirety of the national media. I don't think Trump helped himself by not being there. Because it's the first time that I remember in eight years when there was a discussion about conservative policies and conservative politics without Donald Trump being at the center of all of it. And yeah. so I think in a campaign where attention, exposure uh, is incredibly important, I don't know that Trump did himself any favors I also don't know that he really hurt himself a lot either because, you know, he's already in the lead by such a large majority or such a large margin in the polls. You know, really, he only has things to lose at this point. But but I don't think it necessarily helped him not being there. And it's going to give some of these other candidates an opportunity to find their own lane. I think that's right. I, you know, I see the deck reshuffling, but I, I, I certainly don't think we could conclude from last night, oh, well, candidate X is going to really ascend in the polls and overtake Donald Trump. I don't see that. I think many in the country, uh, long before anybody announced, thought, hey, looks like Ron DeSantis is, is uh, going to come in with, uh, with a bang and, and really probably overtake Trump. But he's been a disappointment. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Thus far, he's, he's a person who's turned over his staff. He's got plenty of money. That's not the issue. I think he may have more in his campaign war chest than anybody on the stage, if I'm not mistaken. So that's not an issue. And he's got a resume, uh, certainly, to run on. But the thing – so I didn't come away thinking, well, DeSantis really helped himself a great deal. I didn't feel like, well, yeah, he was clearly the, the uh, outstanding candidate. And if anything, I'll just point this out, Ashley, and see what you think. The only person that smiled and laughed a bit was Vivek. The rest of them are just yeah. so stuffed shirty, and DeSantis just looks like he's angry all the time. And I heard an interview, I talked about this earlier, I heard an interview with Jason Chaffetz, who served with him uh, in the Congress, the congressman from Utah, who said, well, if you're looking for somebody to have a sense of humor and smile, the interviewer asking about that sort of personality trait of, of DeSantis, he said, 
He ain't your guy. He wasn't that way when he was in the Congress. Now, to some people, that may not be important. But he just seems like he's a little angry in, in, his, in his delivery. It's not that his, that his points uh, or, or that the substance of his discussions or his comments are wrong or not appealing to, I think, a typical Republican voter. It's just the delivery, I think, lacks. Look, I think that he's not a great retail politician, and I think that's kind of been known, but on a debate stage when charisma and, and sort of the skill in retail politics comes out in full force, it just wasn't there, especially when you contrast it with someone like Ramaswamy. Yeah. And, you know, the irony of all of this is, Gerard, uh, Donald Trump was sort of tweeting the things that Ramaswamy was <laughs> saying, cheering him on all last night. Of course, he's, you know, Trump has not been friendly to DeSantis in quite some time. Right. Um, and the interesting thing about it is all three of those candidates really occupy the same space in the race. And it's almost like what Trump is not sort of fully seeing, or maybe he does see it and he just doesn't care because he thinks his lead is good enough. But Ramaswamy is not taking non-Trump votes away from other folks. That's right. He's taking Trump votes away from Trump. I agree. And so it leads to some questions about where is the ceiling for DeSantis, Trump, and Ramaswamy, you know, considering they're all kind of occupying this same political space. And so I really saw the debate as this contrast between uh, the, the MAGA candidates, if you will, Trump, Ramaswamy, and, and DeSantis, and, and then the others, uh, of which I think Haley was, was the strongest. Uh, surprisingly, I don't think anybody expected that Haley would, would that kind of hay. Yeah, and so I, I wonder... Um Ashley, it, it's been no secret that Ramaswamy has said, hey, if I'm elected, I would pardon Donald Trump, and and uh, and he also made it very clear if he's the nominee, I'm all in behind him. And that question was asked, as you recall. I, it was a very relevant uh, and pointed question, was asked of the entire group. Raise your hand if you would support Donald Trump, if he's the nominee. And Ramaswamy's hand went up. I mean, he, like, jumped off the stage, looked like the eager beaver in the classroom. You know, ooh, 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 I know the answer sort of deal. And did you notice, uh, though, that there were two candidates that did not raise their hand? That was Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie. Expected. They made that clear. But it was DeSantis who looked around. Did you notice that? I'm going to look over here and see what the other one's doing before I raise my hand. And then he kind of kind of timidly raised it, I guess. And I just wonder if Donald Trump's not picking up on that. He's a very good scorekeeper. You know that. Who's with me? Who's against me? Maybe one of the best in terms of politicians. And, uh, and so Ramaswamy was, you know, all, all over that. I'll also point this out that Pence attacked him. You're a rookie, you know, and then Haley said, you don't know anything about foreign policy. And he was laughing back at him. I mean, okay, Mike, okay, Nikki. I mean, he was, he was laughing uh, uh, in the, the face of their criticism, which I think was just shows what uh, a good demeanor he has. But he did get a little snarky somewhat. I don't think he helped his, his cause that. I think Doug Burgum is qualified and smart a guy, and is the richest guy, by the way, on the stage last night. I think he's done. I think Asa Hutchins is done. I just think that the, the donors are going to shut down on them, and I don't know that, that – well, Asa doesn't have any money, personally, and I just don't know that D Burgum will keep dumping his own money uh, in the deal. 
Uh, we'll catch your thoughts on this on the other side of the break. We got Ashley Edwards, uh, Coastal Mississippi entrepreneur and Super Top Mississippi News column uh, columnist. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone midday super talk mississippi from the element wealth studio we're chatting with ashley edwards uh, from the mississippi gulf coast gulf coast entrepreneur and a columnist for super talk mississippi news talking about last night's debate so i don't know that anybody made any significant uh, encroachment on donald trump's lead ashley what do you think no, I, I agree with that. You know, I, th- I think that it, it's going to take consolidation of candidates before Iowa uh, to see anybody that has a shot at really challenging him. You know, DeSantis is just backsliding in the polls. If you're in DeSantis's campaign, you got to take a long inward look and really ask yourself, are we going to keep doing what we're doing and think that we're going to get a different outcome? I mean, I, th- this is not going well for DeSantis considering where it all began for him. Um, I think Ramaswamy's going to see a bump after last night. I think you'll see that. What's going to be interesting is kind of figuring out where his ceiling is. You know, is is it 10%? Is it 12%? Uh, I think Haley will see a bump, but that might mean going from 3 to 6 or 3 to 7% in the polls. So nobody really is encroaching on Trump's uh, space right now in this race. And uh, it's going to take a lot of consolidation. Now, I do see a path for that. I mean, you look at Nikki Haley's campaign, for example. Uh, it, it is a sophisticated, sharp campaign infrastructure that looks like a presidential campaign. And she certainly has the ability to do some massive fundraising over time if the field consolidates. And so as someone that could be there, be relatively well financed by the GOP establishment, you know, I think she's got a shot. Tim, Tim Scott has kind of occupied that lane. Yeah. Uh, DeSantis is going to have to get a shot in the arm, and it it feels like Ramaswamy is is really running to be Trump's chief surrogate and potential VP pick. Which, based on the uh, just the good feelings and the tweets that Trump uh, you know has made with kind of applauding uh, Ramaswamy, I, I mean, I think right now if you were an odds maker, you'd say who's the the vice presidential pick? I'd say it's Ramaswamy today. Yeah, I'd put uh, Haley in that camp as well maybe behind uh, him. 
And, uh, you know, it may be kind of a diversity play with with Haley. Right. Uh, you get an Indian American and a female. I mean, there may be something to that. And someone who has a, a breadth of uh, certainly foreign policy experience that she would bring to the table. But I, I'm with you. We'll see where that goes. Now, there was a question asked of the candidates if they thought that their fellow candidate, former Vice President Mike Pence, acted appropriately on January 6th. And I believe every one of them said they did, that they supported his actions, that the Constitution comes above anything else when you're serving in that capacity. Is that uh, what you saw? Were you surprised at that, or did that come out the way you thought? You know, I was surprised that Mike Pence was so savvy to sort of, you know, raise the previous question to all the folks on stage and say, either stand beside me or disagree with me, but do it here publicly in the debate. Yeah. Uh, And it was interesting that the range of responses you saw, uh, you know, Chris Christie given this full throated endorsement (laughs) of what Mike Pence did and DeSantis sort of saying, yeah, he did his duty, but, you know, we got bigger fish to fry. So it was interesting to see that contrast. Uh, but I think questions like that really went to the heart of what's going to become the substance of this 2024 GOP race. Uh, and that is there is clearly an ideological war going on in the Republican Party. You get that more sort of traditional, compassionate conservatism that you would have seen in the Bush era with candidates like Haley. You get the full-throated support of the MAGA movement from candidates like DeSantis and Ramaswamy. Uh, and those two things really don't mesh very well together. And so you sort of got this search for the G- GOP's identity going forward. And even listening to the reactions from the audience in the debate, it's pretty clear that, that there's just not a, uh, a majority of the Republican Party that happens to feel real strongly about any one of these positions. And so I think it was really it, it was very telling from that perspective. Yeah, it was kind of patchy applause. And, and, yes. and uh, if you will, and jeers. I mean, sort of patchy. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, that's the entire complement of people uh, in attendance. Wasn't that. It was like they're planted people whenever they'd, you know, do well or respond or throw a, a zinger or two out there. Uh, another controversial issue, of course, that, that certainly could be front and center in the 24 election was abortion. Can't, you can't overlook that. And my takeaway from there, something I've said many times on the show here for a while, uh, Ashley, is that if you believe that life begins at conception, which I think historically Republicans have, and that's been uh, their stance and their standard for uh, being pro-life, there's nobody on the stage that supports policies that align with that. Mike Pence, even, as an evangelical Christian, a few weeks ago he came out and said, yeah, I'm going to... Uh, push for a 15-week federal ban. On the other hand, you had you had DeSantis who just uh, signed off on legislation in his state of Florida to limit it, uh, the gestation period to six weeks. And when he was asked about that, he said, "Well, I'll just say I'm pro-life." I mean, he, he was kind of non-committal on that. And Nikki Haley said, "Guys, you're crazy. We're not going to get anything through the U.S. Senate without 60 votes, and that's just not happening at the federal level." Let's uh, allow it to be decided at the states per the Dobbs decision. The Democrats are going to make a much bigger deal out of this, are they not? They see this as their path to victory in both houses and the White House. 
No question. Every Democrat strategist in America is telling their candidate right now, if you're in a district uh, that has uh, that, that is uncomfortable with the current positions on abortion with the GOP, hammer them on that issue. And they're say, they're seeing that it's becoming a winning issue for them. You see what's happened in these last several state referendums. I really felt felt like it was notable that Haley tried to carve out what is a difficult position, but I thought was a a really strategic one in both saying I'm unabashedly pro-life and I'm also very pragmatic about this issue. And so, you know, what she kept, I think, showing last night was a real grasp of understanding of what it takes to win the general election. Of course, the problem is she's got to win the Republican primary, which is a little bit of a different set of of questions for these candidates, but she kept kind of moving back to what's a center-right position uh, that I can defend in a general election scenario. You didn't really see any of the other candidates, I think, taking that tack. Perhaps DeSantis a little bit by uh, just sort of shrugging off the question, but I, but it was pretty clear that Haley knows where the American electorate is on that issue and is is trying to find her space in that issue. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and she was also a person that I think uh, tapped into the fact that she's a female and and made the case that we got to take care of of mothers and children and she was the only one that really made any points about that you know it's it's fine to be pro-life but we got to do that um, our Attorney General Lynn Fitch has, has been a crusader in that regard as well uh, before and after the uh, the Dobbs issue so, uh, but we'll see. I, I think I still believe Bergam and Asa Hutchinson are out at this point. I would yeah. would be shocked if they even stay in up to the primary, um, the, the caucus, the Iowa caucus, as it will be uh, coming up after the first of the year. I'd, I'd be shocked if they stick around for that. Uh, but what will be fun to watch is just how the fundraising goes, right? Uh, because that, that's what this—that's what this is all about. Is you know you got to have money to have stay in power, and these donors watch very carefully these performances in the debates and then the post-debate polls and so forth, um, and, and they'll make a decision as to whether or not to keep hitting the hip and contributing. Uh, I noticed that I'm on Vivek's um, email list. He was sending out fundraising emails during the debate, because I got one during the debate, which was actually fairly fairly clever. He just seems like the only one on the stage is having fun, for what that's worth. I think he kind of knows deep down inside his prospects are fairly uh, much a long shot. But at least he had fun, and I, I like to see that. I think that is necessary. I think back to Ronald Reagan on how he had fun in every debate, and I think that carried him a long way. Got about a minute left. Your final thoughts, Ash? Well, I think in any debate, you can tell who the other candidates are worried about based on who they target. And I would have predicted going into last night that would have been DeSantis, uh, and it was Ramaswamy. So I think that that really underscores the fact that he's a threat. Uh, They see what's happening with him in the polls, and they're trying to catch that same magic. And so... Uh, they went after him hard, and I think you'll see more of the same in the weeks ahead. I think he's going to be a key target for some of the guys that are on the periphery. Totally agree. Always good to talk to you, Ashley. Great analysis, great article. Really enjoyed it, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. My pleasure, Gerard. Thank you for having me today. Yes, sir. Take care. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio.
Sonic fan. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Finger bumping us into this segment of middays. So on the ceasefire text line, I had the pleasure of watching the USM Super Regional with Dr. Joe Paul and his presidential suite at Pete Taylor Park. This is from Jared and Hurley. He truly loves everything about USM and just a genuinely good dude. I I agree. Seems like uh Fantastic fit. I really like Joe Paul, says Dan in Hattiesburg. He's the most hands-on president we've had since Aubrey Lucas. Let's see here. We're going to get to the point where criminals will have high-capacity magazines and law-abiding citizens will have pea shooters. I was just reading... Can't even have pea shooters in some Democrat strongholds. That's true. An air rifle is illegal in New York City. Didn't know that. Wow. Even if it's a spring-loaded air rifle. Man. Well, Dollar Tree, once again to this point about um, theft and crime in general, Dollar Tree, the CEO says that they had a surprisingly drop, large drop in their gross margin because of shrinkage, which is kind of a nice way of saying theft, crime. Uh, losses due to theft. I mean, it can be from damages and other causes, but generally speaking, it's theft. And their stock plummeted on this news. This is crazy to think about operating a retail store, serving the public in this country, and you're experiencing so much theft. I mean, it's a significant material value that it's affecting your gross margins, your profitability, your viability. That's sad. really is. You cannot have a functioning society. You certainly cannot achieve sustainable economic growth and prosperity when you're fighting this, when you're fighting theft. And all I can think about when I see stuff like this, Rhino, as you remember the clip we played, it may have been two years ago, and it was a, a BLM activist, and she was she was justifying the the thievery, the pillaging, plundering of of stores. I want to say it was Chicago. And she said that's reparations. If they take a Gucci purse or whatever the heck it was, and there was, there was some, there was a split screen, and there was a video of that happening in some of the upscale retail spots in Chicago. That's reparations. That's okay. And then you have others that say, well, they have insurance. 
zero understanding of how all that ecosystem works. Well, they have insurance. That's reparations. Sanctioning, condoning, justifying, rationalizing, taking somebody else's stuff. That's sick. Where are the Democrats? Why won't they say something about that? Why won't they call attention to that and say, no, that's wrong? It's not in their best political interest, I guess. Is that what ding, it is? Ding, 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 That's extremely worrisome to think about. I want to get back to old Robert Wright and, and talk about, again, this, this assertion that most Democrats believe that, yep, Trump ran up $8 trillion of debt, and that's true. And a quarter of that, Mr. Reich says, is a result of the Trump tax cuts. Well, the first thing to point out is that it is true that the debt increased by $8 trillion while he was in office. But for what it's worth, $2 trillion of that was not from deficits. This is kind of a crazy concept to wrap your head around. It was because the Fed printed a whole bunch of money, and and the way that works is they essentially loan that to the Treasury, and the, and the Treasury puts it on their books as debt. So $2 trillion of that was from that monetary function, which is totally separate from the fiscal control that the government has. The other $6 trillion is absolutely true that was added to the debt as a result of deficit spending. $3.8 trillion of that came in the year 2020 when COVID swept the nation. And in, within that was the $2.2 trillion CARES Act, and there was, before that, a Coronavirus Relief Act. I forget the formal name of the bill. And it was, it was $900 billion. So 3.1 of the $3.8 trillion deficit was a direct result of all this COVID helicopter money and I'm not making excuses for that whatsoever. Donald Trump signed off on it. His Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, architected it. Republicans supported it. But this is where I'm calling out Mr. Reich. Every single Democrat supported this. So it is a bit duplicitous to attribute that the debt run up under Donald Trump solely to him and the Republicans. The reason I point that out is because under this president, we're sitting at $5.8 trillion. Uh, these numbers get just, I know, make you gloss over. So many of them. But he's on track, is this president, to produce $8 trillion in deficits alone, not Trump, which was six of deficits and two of bond buying, quantitative easing, money printing, this president is just about where Trump was in terms of cumulative deficits at the 30-month 
point that Trump was in um, throughout his entire career, his entire term, I should say. So we got four. Uh, we got uh, 14 months left. Kind of see where I'm going with that. 14, 15 months left because he will have some responsibility for the final two months of the year next year, even though the fiscal year ends September 30th. But I, I just I don't like when these these I guess popular figures you could call he is popular. Robert Wright, a lot of people follow him, especially on the left. I may be one of the few people on the right that does, but I like to see what he's saying, what he thinks. The other thing, again, to point out is that the tax cuts enacted in 2017, signed by Donald Trump, the CBO said that would generate a two trillion pardon me, a $1.5 trillion deficit over 10 years. And that always gets omitted in these discussions about this big money. Ten years. Not the four years. He's trying to say it all happened in the four. No, it's ten years. And it was not two trillion, as Mr. Wright suggested, it was one point five. That's five hundred billion dollars. That's significant. But they always wanna the left always blames deficits produced by the government on tax breaks. You don't pay enough taxes. More, more, more. But we all know if they confiscated every penny out of whom they believe are the wealthy in corporations, every penny of profit they took, every penny of income produced by the top earners in this country, they still produce a deficit. First, that wouldn't be enough to cover it. That's what they don't get. They don't want to do the math on that. They won't, they, it wouldn't cover the deficits we're currently producing. But they still keep spending more than that because they don't ever say no. No matter what, they will never, ever say no. And, heck, I noticed just yesterday, old Liz Warren is once again calling for child tax credits. She says, roads and bridges make it possible for people to go to work and we've come together as a nation to build them. Child care makes it possible for working parents to go to work. And I'm fighting to make sure we come together as a nation and establish universal child care. What they want is universal child indoctrination <laughs> to their Marxist vision for this country. I can't wait till Liawatha gets sent home so she can have all the beer she wants. <laughs> have a beer, hon. And that way she said... <laughs> We are in the Element Well studio, stepping aside for a break right here, coming right back. Got some text to get to. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. So don't stop me now. Don't stop me. Cause I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Shooting star leaping through the sky like a tiger. Defying the 
Freddie Mercury and Queen. Whose tune Fat Bottom Girls was omitted from their greatest hits latest production. Tim from Tubelo says, Haley wants to raise the retirement age. She's done, too. She has stated that she favors raising the uh, retirement age for those in their 20s, specifically, is what she has said. But I think it's, it, it's disturbing that you can't have a conversation about Social Security and Medicare, both of which are the primary drivers of our deficit. Can't have a conversation about that and succeed in politics. Can't get elected. It really didn't even come up last night. That's one of the questions I would have asked. Hey, what are you going to do about Social Security and Medicare? It's going broke, you know. I was disappointed that that question was not posed. I mean, even if the moderators had asked it, I don't think they'd have got an answer. They wouldn't have. But this is why we can't get problems solved, because everybody puts, of course, their political fortune above solving problems. I mean, that's the way we roll. And it's, to some extent, our fault, because we want them to just say, oh, no, it's all fine. All right, we're just going to keep it going. We don't have to do anything. We're just going to keep printing money. Everything's cool. Don't want to talk about it. I, I find that... Kind of sad. So they're all looking for a post-debate pump. Bump, they are. Hal Lambert is, a, uh, I think, a big private equity guy, if I'm not mistaken. And he's a big DeSantis supporter. And he's calling for Vivek Ramaswamy to drop out. Says he got no <laughs> chance. He, he, of course he is. Not the obvious ones, but Aza Hutchinson and Burger. Right, exactly. I thought Scott did very well. I wish they'd give him more time, says Dave. I wasn't mm. impressed with Scott, honestly. He was largely forgettable, but I will give him his kudos for the closer, for the closing statement. Yeah. He was the only one that knocked it out of the park. He did pretty well. I agree. He's a little platitude for me, but he did pretty well. I, I, um, I thought Bergham did poorly. Uh, you know the story, though. He played basketball yesterday and hurt himself. And he still got on the stage, and you couldn't see it, but I believe he had a boot on, right? And, and said he was in pain, injured his Achilles heel in one of his, one of his legs, and, and said he was in pain, but felt like he could stand. He was interviewed yesterday afternoon. It was er, earlier thought he was uh, going to bow out. But he said, you know, if our, if, uh, our service... People in uniform and our first responders can endure pain and still do their work. The least I can do is stand on that stage for two hours wearing a boot. You couldn't, you couldn't see that. You know it had to be affecting him, though. I didn't think he did real well in his clothes. I, I do think Scott did uh, pretty well. I, I like uh, Ramaswamy. You know, I, I caught on to his, I call him his Ten Commandments, but his Ten Truths is what he calls them. Caught wind of that a couple of months ago when he published it. I thought it was spot on. And he... He was the only one that seemed to have any real energy. And from someone in a younger generation than you, he's the only one that appealed to me. Yeah. I would agree. And... Certainly wasn't Pence preaching at you. 
Nah, I couldn't deal with that. He's too robotic, man. Just seemed to me. And he 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 attacked Ramaswamy. He said he was a rookie. And Ramaswamy said, well, you know, if your car ain't working, you don't hand the keys to the same driver <laughs> or something to that effect. Same person to drive the car. Gary in the Berg said, first exposure to Ramaswamy. Says a lot of good things, but came off is like the little dog that chases other people walking in the neighborhood. Too much yapping and interrupting. Don't agree with his siding with Russia and the Ukraine war either. Lots of folks tired of personality contest stuff. America's in big trouble. We need a serious and experienced leader like DeSantis and that he served and put his life on the line for our country. Not sure if any of the others served. I think he was the only one. Nikki Haley did a nice job and chewed up Rami on Ukraine. He did, so... You may have seen this, folks, uh, that the question was asked, should we cut off all funding to Ukraine? He's the only one that, that raised his hand. I would say Rhino on our text line, for sure, that's that's probably been one of the most popular, most common issues, most common squawks from our base is, I don't want to send any money, more money to Ukraine. So of the eight on the stage last night, he's the only one that said, yeah, for that, we ought to to reallocate those funds to the border. I don't know why we we would have to stop necessarily funding Ukraine to do that. Uh, not that I'm for that. I honestly don't think I know enough about it that I understand stuff that we just aren't exposed to to really make a rational call on that. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. We're coming right back with an hour. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays is now with you. We're in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve on the C Spire text line, which is 601-879-4395. Marianne Greenwood says, what difference does it make how old the baby is? Six weeks, 15 weeks, whatever. You're killing an innocent child. Even abortion for incest or rape is wrong. That baby couldn't help the way it was conceived. Only exception is for the life of the mother. If you don't want it, give it up for adoption. Yeah, so I'm just pointing out, Mary, that there are not a single Republican candidate that uh, has taken that position on uh, abortion, where there should be no exceptions, that life begins at conception. And I haven't really reviewed the Republican platform lately. I don't know what it says. Hadn't, hadn't looked at it in a while regarding abortion and the, the principle of pro-life. But there ain't a Republican presidential candidate that uh, aligns with what Mary's saying here. Donald Trump, of course, we've shared this before. He said back in May, and I'm, I'm quoting him, we're going to get something done on abortion and it's going to make everyone very happy. 
I don't know how you do that, honestly, because that's one of those issues that the gap is fairly large. But the reality is, from a political perspective, not from a moral perspective, from a political perspective in this country, I do not think one can get elected with a a fairly harsh stance, which is, by the way, what Donald Trump said about the recently passed Florida law that restricts it to six weeks. He said that was too harsh. So here you got the guy who is lapping the field as a Republican candidate, lapping the Republican field as we approach the primary and we select a nominee to send to the general who says we're going to get done something done on abortion and we're going to make everybody very satisfied. It kind of sounds similar to what he said in 16 when he was running regarding health care. We're going to have great health care. No details, just we're going to have great health care. Uh, so I'm just passing on. I hear you, Mary, and I know that that would be a problem. I, I know that this state, this pro-Trump state, very much so, and think about it, Rhino, it was a um, it was a contentious point in the marquee race in our recent primaries, that being for lieutenant governor. And, um, you know, Senator Chris McDaniel contended that the lieutenant governor was on the board of a uh, an abortion clinic. He also made the point that that Delbert Hoseman, as the Secretary of State, told Donald Trump to go jump in the Gulf with respect to supplying confidential, not confidential, but private, at least, voting information, personal information. And I think the attempt there, the only point I'm making there, is that the attempt was to cast Delbert Hoseman as an anti-Trump guy. Well, okay, if we're pro-Trump people, do we accept the fact that he's extremely lax, maybe the most lax candidate of all, on the issue of abortion. And I think about all the campaign materials we saw leading up to the primary from Republican candidates. Virtually every one of them says pro-life. Well, what does that mean now? What does that mean? Uh, it seems like that... Uh, I feel like Nikki Haley's response to the abortion question was the best, where she talked about how, can we all agree we should ban late-term abortions? I agree with you. Can we all agree we should encourage adoption? Can we all agree that doctors and nurses who don't believe in abortion shouldn't have to perform them? Can not we all agree that contra- contraception should be available? And can not we all agree that we're not going to put women in jail or give them the death penalty if they get an abortion? I mean, she said, let's treat this like the respectful issue it is and humanize the situation and stop demonizing the situation. I totally agree. And she was, uh, I saw an interview with her this morning before the show. She made those exact same talking points, exact same talking points. And I think it's just common sense, right? We shouldn't lock doctors up because they won't do an abortion. On the other side of the coin, you got the left in a couple of states that now will not prosecute a physician if an abortion is botched and they don't work to save the child. Just let the child 
die. That seems crazy to me. Now, I mean, that's just how polarized and, and how radical the left's gotten on this issue. And, of course, the euphemism of reproductive health care, like gender-affirming care, euphemism for mutilating minors' bodies is what it is. But I, I agree with you. And she also, again, I point out, she was practical in that we're not going to get something through the Senate here at the federal level. It's going to have to stay at the states. Maybe what we could get through, and I, I would say it'd be iffy, is some legislation that would include provisions that align with what you just read there, or her talking points. We don't want to lock doctors up because they refuse to perform an abortion. We don't want to let, we don't want to lock up um, mothers, in that case, because they travel, I think, to get an abortion is what she was saying there, and we don't want late-term abortions. Certainly, we can come up with something there. I mean... Which, that seemed to be the only response from the left was, well, the Democrats don't support late-term abortions. It's just not true. Yeah, they're full of it. I mean, there are states that basically don't have any restrictions. So that's just not true. But I, I hear you. Uh, James in Hattiesburg says, Walmart in New Orleans East never opened back after Katrina, and the real reason was staff. We were talking about that earlier. Jay from the Res says, Trump and Haley, unstoppable. And Gerard, I think you would agree. Unstoppable um, in the general election? No, I don't agree with that, Jay. I, I honestly think at this point that the path for any Republican presidential co- uh, candidate to prevail in the general, regardless of who the Democrat candidate is, is a narrow one. I just, I just you really got to look at how presidents are elected, which is totally different because of the electoral college than other offices and. Once again, it will come down, as it has for so long, to a handful of counties in about four states. And it will be a really just a small smattering of voters that can go either way, so-called independents, in those counties. I mean, that's how the president is elected. We could just go ahead and mark down the other 46 states right now and, and just go ahead and assign their electoral votes with a high degree of certainty where they're going to land. You know Mississippi, for example, its six electoral votes are going to the Republican. You know in California its 52 electoral votes are going to the Democrat. You know New York's 29 are going to the Democrat. And 21, I think it is, in Illinois, for example. I can go down the list. Washington, Oregon. Just go ahead and put those in the Democrat column. And at one time, Florida was iffy. It seems to be reliably red now. Uh, te- While Georgia has flipped to iffy. Right. Georgia is one of those four or five that I would put you know, in that camp. It's Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Wisconsin, maybe Michigan, although I, I think Michigan's going blue just based on its Supreme Court elections and its other statewide elections that just look like it's become more blue. Uh, that's really where it all comes down. You're not going to win New York. You're not going to win Illinois. You're not going to win Washington, Oregon, California. And those just happen to be 
very populated states that have lots of electoral votes. You've got to have 270 to win. You're not going to win New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont. That's just not going to go Minnesota. Not going to go the, uh, the Republicans' way. So, on the other hand, the Democrats not going to win Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Tennessee, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas. They, the Democrats, you know, have been saying for three or four cycles, we're real close to turning Texas blue, but they're really not. Uh, so, Kansas, Nebraska, they'll go red. Colorado's purple. Somewhat, I still see it going blue. Uh, that's just the way the the map sets up. And and Trump understood this, and we we discussed that before, which is why he focused so much, especially leading up to election day, on Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and North Carolina, Florida, to make sure that he carried those states, Arizona, and that was the path to the White House. I just I just don't have that same level of confidence in this cycle. Coming right back. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, Super Talk Mississippi. Watching the markets, quite the turnaround. The Dow now in the red, down 239. The NASDAQ taking it on the chin after a pretty good day yesterday. It's down 182. NVIDIA absolutely smashed earnings significantly. We uh, discussed that yesterday, and they reported after the bell and came in better than expected. And man, the stock was off to the races. Incredible. I heard two analysts this morning put 52-week targets at one at 600 bucks and one at 750, which is astronomical. It's currently trading at uh, 485. It's a mighty big range. Yeah, I agree. It's at 485. It had uh, crossed over the $500 a share mark earlier this morning in pre-market trading. It was uh, the other big winner was a company called Palo Alto. They uh, Palo Alto Networks. They they make uh, security technology. It's uh, we we uh, actually represented Palo Alto at my company, implemented a number of Palo Alto solutions for customers. It's really top-notch cybersecurity tech, and uh, their stock is down right now, but they came out with with uh, better-than-expected sales and earnings and positive guidance. But I think what's driving the market is that the purchasing manager index came out, and it showed uh, that it came in at below expectations, and that's a that's a measure of just factory output and factory activity in general. These would be purchasing managers that buy 
raw materials and other inputs to the manufacturing process. This is the ninth straight month of a contraction in factory activity. Said demand remains weak, and so the market is keying on that, not liking it very much. Let's see, there was... um, yeah, uh, something else that uh, Gary and the Berg said. What we need is Gerard on the stage, someone that can actually explain things, except for how his team wins all the time at Annandale, or how Ole Miss had a giant fan blowing <laughs> behind the goalpost that blew the Bulldogs' field goal back through the uprights. That would have been 1983. I was there in the opposite end zone. Um, first, uh, Gary, just let me let me. Uh, inform you here that I don't always win in my golf bets at Annandale. We don't play for a whole lot of money. And I had nothing to do with the wind blowing Hardy Cosby's field go back. Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. Somebody said that, yeah, Rhett and Ridgeland, Larry Elder has my vote. Not on the stage last night. I He's an excellent candidate, honestly. Makes a lot of sense what he says. I just don't know that he's so-called electable. Yeah, Jeff in Forest County says, Chris Christie brought up chat GBT last night at the debate, so I had to check it out. It's actually pretty cool. He What he said was that Vivek Ramaswamy sounded like his talking points were produced by chat GPT. That's what he said. Sounded like your chat GPT. They were all taking swipes, and Vivek just smiled. I mean, he honestly took that just gave him more time. That's exactly right. Anytime they mentioned him or pointed at him or even hinted that they were talking about him, well, the moderators, well, I think you were mentioned. Here's 30 seconds. Yep. Exactly. How do you explain this, says Larry, on November 3rd, 2020, when the vote count was halted that night? Yeah, I've seen that a million times, Larry. It's because of the way absentee votes are counted. Some, like Florida, they let them start counting them before Election Day. Some, you have to wait till a few days after Election Day. Some, you have to wait till Election Day is over. I don't know the rules across all states, but I am not among those who believed that the election was stolen and rigged. And I think the longer we dwell on that and the longer we hold that belief, the bigger is the task, the greater is the task to prevail. Which that might have been DeSantis's high point of the whole night was during the January 6th question when, he was, when Pence was trying to pin him down after he kind of gave a, a noncommittal that I don't have beef with Pence. And Pence was like, no, you got to answer. Yeah. And his whole, DeSantis' whole point was, we can't keep looking back. We have to look at January 20th, 2024. Yeah, I totally or agree. Or 2025. Yeah, I totally agree. That is what he said. And I and I agree with him in that. I, I just think, I mean, if this is the case then, Larry, then we might as well just not have an election. It's all rigged. Somebody said that on social media this morning to me. He said, okay, well, then it's all rigged. It's already in the tank. Why have an election? Let's just call it off right now and go ahead and hand the presidency to whomever the Democrat nominee is, if that's what you believe. I, I don't. I mean, uh, my answer to Larry is even simpler. What's that? It's not what you, quote-unquote, know. It's what you can prove. Yeah, and that, there's a lot of truth to that. You're absolutely right. 
uh, Rhino, in, in that respect. Um, you know, I I just don't. I I think that we in our world here in Mississippi, where we live, I think we have a tendency to believe that we are a reflection of the rest of the country. And I and I'm saying I'm not saying that's unique to Mississippi. I think people in the other states think that about where they live. I think it's just natural. I'm not faulting people for that. But I, I'll tell you this, I was shocked in my travels, which were extensive while Trump was president, how unpopular he was, especially in New York, among people who are conservative, certainly from an economic policy perspective. And I was a little surprised at, at how unpopular he was. And when you get outside of our bubble here, or just our environment, you you come across people who don't think like you. Doesn't mean they're bad people. They just don't think like you. Don't share your views. Don't share your philosophy. And then you realize, you know what? There's a whole lot more people in this country that don't share and align with my views than there are that do. And it, and as long as we discount that and just say, oh, the election was rigged. And, I, and I'm not getting on to Larry here, but but I'm just saying, as long as we just chalk it up to that and not, well, maybe there was really something missing there that failed to get the point out. And I, again, I point out, Donald Trump barely beat Hillary Clinton, the worst candidate in history, and lost the popular vote by over three million. Barely squeaked out the electoral vote, which all came down to a handful of counties in four states that shocked everybody, including me. It certainly shocked the folks over at MSNBC. It looked like a funeral over there. You remember that. I mean, they were just couldn't believe it when Pennsylvania came up in his favor. And it was barely. I mean, it just it's not that much. And that's against Hillary. I I do think that without COVID, the outcome would have been different. I think Trump's rather cavalier attitude toward that. Uh, turned a lot of people off, and it it all comes down to these few people. I mean, if you think, Larry, that if you went, for example, to Pennsylvania, you'd find 682,000 people, which was the vote count at at um, at some point election night before they started dumping the uh, significant number of absentee ballots into the mix. I mean, man, I I've been to Pennsylvania a lot. It's just the opposite. I mean, you you get to Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh area a little bit. You, you get folks that are more like us, but if you get to the big population center of Philadelphia, it's just jam packed full of left wing loons, a bunch of them, millions. And that's what carries it. You got to go to Erie, the county, or out in Western Pennsylvania, closer to West Virginia, where it gets a little more normalized. New York's that way. I mean. Upstate New York and New York City, night and day. Completely night and day. I worked hard to acquire a company in the Hudson Valley up there. It was based in Albany, the state capital, and had a couple of other locations in that Hudson Valley area. They were more like us than companies in my own state were, honestly. I mean, their values, their culture, their people, I was shocked. 
I just had, hadn't really spent a lot of time in that area. Now you just travel a couple hours south down to New York, it's like, well, you're back in Looney Land. But the difference is you got upstate New York with few million people, and you got New York City with, what, 10 million people, or certainly the metro area. I mean, it's just night and day. And that's what carries the state. I mean, it's totally under Democrat control. I think we have to figure out how do we, how do we tune our message to, and get a candidate that appeals to those people in the middle that we got both sides got to have to win. It's the way it works. We're coming right back with half an hour left in the Element Well Studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. When I was younger, so much younger than today. I never needed anybody's help in any way. There you go, folks, the Fab Four. We are back in the Element Well studio. Larry wanted to know, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't a lot of the so-called swing states reform some of their election laws that will keep the cheating down? Um, I mean, I know... Most of that is thought to come from mail-in voting and so-called ballot harvesting. But I, the only state I'm aware of that did a little reform was um, Pennsylvania, which, of course, is a big one. And, and it had to do with their, their mail-in laws regarding voting. But I think that that was upheld. I think that it was, um, I think there were some Republicans, some conservatives that didn't like the law and, and challenged it and just overall mail in voting. But I don't think anything came of that that will significantly change that. I mean, mail in voting is, is here to stay. It, I want to say, Rhino, it's the state of Washington that only has mail-in voting. Of course, it doesn't matter. state of Washington, I mean, that's loony territory there. It's uh, Nobody ever contended, yeah, there was cheating in the state of Washington, and that swung the election. They don't have too many votes anyhow. But uh, Pennsylvania, of course, is a critical swing state, and it does allow absentee, so-called absentee mail-in voting does allow ballot harvesting. There's still some restrictions around there. You know, Pennsylvania is largely a Democrat territory. I mean, it just is. has been. Long time. It was shocking when Donald Trump won it in 16. And I maintain that's only because Hillary was terrible. The worst ever. And he barely carried that state. 
couple of months ago, I actually dug into that. I mean, down into the details at the at the county level, and the the numbers really didn't change significantly between sixteen and twenty in that state, that critical swing state uh, for Donald Trump. It was just enough, however, to put Biden over the top. So, and and then I think the other question is, okay, well, specifically what cheating? I mean, there's all kinds of allegations about that, challenges, but like you said, Rhino, nothing was ever empirically proven. Um, Of course, you know, Mike Lindell, the pillar guy, has made some defamatory comments. So did Fox News and others about the Dominion voting machine folks. And they've been unable to prove their case. I think I shared that. What Lindell had some challenge and some uh, some smart digital IT folks looked at what Lindell was doing and blew holes in his whole test, which he was actually fabricating. He was actually cheating to make the results come out to show that that uh, the machines were flawed. And he's paying out the nose in his lawsuits to cover that, uh, to defend his his case. And he's actually said publicly that it could bankrupt him. I don't know why you want to dig into that, honestly, when you really don't know what the heck you're talking about. But I, I think we have to at least be sensitive and recognize maybe Donald Trump just didn't appeal to the people he needed to appeal to in 20 the way he did in 16, and therefore he lost. I don't think you could, and again, I say without COVID, all bets are off. It's also true if you go back and look at his favorability ratings. He averaged 41 percent, 41, during his four years. Biden's at 40. And these are taken from a cross-section of of polling organizations, left and right. They're basically poll about the same. The other thing that always may be concerned about Donald Trump getting reelected before COVID, was polls of independence had completely flipped. They went from, yeah, I supported him over Hillary Clinton in 16, and after about a year, year and a half in office, oh, I don't know. It's not that they weren't pleased essentially with the way things were going in the policy. Certainly anybody with a brain knows that life was a lot better from an economic perspective, which still stays at the the top of voters' concerns. I think we certainly were in better status on the global stage, and and the border wasn't overrun the way it is. Crime wasn't off the charts. I would agree with all that. That's not been the issue, but these independents, I think they wilted on him, honestly. And it was the personality. They just turned him on. Yeah, I maintain that there's got to be a sizable portion of the independents that just got tired of hearing about him. Uh, it's absolutely right. And I so I honestly think his fate was sealed before COVID. Now, it was also sort of uncannily smart on the part of the Democrats to keep Biden in the basement. So we can't really look today at what a disaster the guy is. He's the president. Now he can't hide. He does. He tries to. 
But good grief, every time he goes out, it's a disaster. And people look at it and say, how in the world could that guy beat Donald Trump? I, I agree. But think about leading up to 20. You never saw that side of him, honestly. He d actually didn't do that bad in the debates back then. The other candidates were crazy nuts anyhow. But they kept him pretty quiet, if you, th if you think about it. And, of course, they did the same strategy, right? The DNC said, we're not having any debates they're not even, not even going to have any, and right now he's got two opponents that have officially filed in RFK and Marianne Williamson as Democrats. And he's, he's Scuttlebutt said, is Bernie's going to throw his hat in the ring. Oh, please. Oh, good grief. Yeah, I know, Larry. Video in Georgia is, is uh, evidence. But, okay, so what, can you explain why... The governor in Georgia won so handily, but Donald Trump went down. That the governor won and Herschel Walker went down. I mean, you do know Atlanta is a pretty big place in Georgia, and it's like 98% Democrat. I mean, you just have to be, you have to recognize that. And, and the demographics of Georgia have been changing steadily for quite some time. It, it's a a Democrat state for the most part, except they really like the, the the governor, and he's orders of magnitude better than Stacey Abrams, even the, some Democrats. That's a pretty low bar. It is. And it, I mean, and no disrespect to Mr. Trump, but so was Hillary Clinton, and he still lost the popular vote to her. You look at her and say, how in the world could Donald Trump lose the popular vote in this country to Hillary Clinton? How could that happen? What do they see in her? But remember that night? People were crying all over the place. How could they do this? She's entitled to be the president. All that garbage. Unbelievable. Her planned glass ceiling celebration. <laughs> that was just pillow talk, says Andy and Jackson. What you talking about there? The my pillow guy. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. Oregon, Tim and McGee says, has mail-in voting. Okay, I thought it was Washington, it's Oregon, it's one of those. But uh, take note of this. Many other states are looking at going all mail-in. Jim in the Delta says, I think one of the main reasons a lot of people have problems with the 2020 election results are that Trump got 11 million more votes than he did in 16, the most votes of any president in history. And according to the explained results, Biden got $6 million more than that. I think I've heard you say this before. I believe the main reason for that was absentee voting. If that's the case, I do not think those counties that you were talking about will make a difference because there will certainly be more absentee voting this go-round. Also, I'm really not sure how the Republicans will be able to win this time. Well, they won't be able to win because their message isn't resonating where it needs to resonate. I, until you accept that and keep chalking it off to its voting irregularity, then you're not paying attention to the sentiments of this country. Just look at the abortion issue, for example, and how that went down in flames in Ohio. And everywhere it comes up, it goes down in flames. you got to accept that that's a big, big, big issue to a lot of people. Those of us on the right that are pro-life, those of us, those people, I should say, oh gosh, don't include me on the left, those people on the left who are hardcore pro-choice and believe their freedoms are being imposed upon, they don't care about the baby in the womb. You just got to take stock in there. You wouldn't have thought what happened in Ohio did, but man, that was a shocker. And 
Republicans need to take note. It's why these candidates have moved so far to the left on the abortion issue. It's exactly why. They know they can't get elected like that. It's why Trump says we're going to make everybody very happy with abortion. We're coming right back with a final segment on Middays. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We are back. Final segment, middays. Man, we could talk all day. We're going to be back tomorrow, though, with some more. We appreciate it. And I, look, I really appreciate all the engagement on our text line. And and uh, we may not agree. And, and I hope that uh, you're cool with that. And we're going to be civil uh, about it. And unless you. I would honestly be shocked if a large portion of the listening block agreed with my grades I gave the debates last night. Yeah. And okay. So, because I mean there I've seen so many people talking about how oh, Pence did so well. Pence Pence put on a great show. Pence re- were we watching the same debate? I gave Pence a C. Like okay, let me just look at my grades here. DeSantis, I gave him an A minus. Pence got a C. Haley got a B. Scott got a B minus, which would have been a C or lower, but that that closer gave him a bonus point. Vivek got an A from me. Okay. Christie got a B minus. And then Hutchinson and Bergen both got D minuses. They weren't complete failures, but they were dang close. I think I'm I'm pretty much aligned. I'm no Christie fan, but I thought he actually performed pretty well last night. He just he he seemed He um, had the least amount of well I've practiced this so I have to get it out statements. That's right. He just seemed like more he was just having a conversation with you. Uh, He's just so, so dang unlikable. I agree with you. I totally agree. He's smart enough to be a decent president. He's just so unlikable. I, I'm with you, and that's big. People vote emotions, but the, the guy is smart. And, you know, he made the point a hundred times. I defeated an entrenched Democrat in a Democrat state. Well, there is something to be said for that. DeSantis, that's not how you win votes. No, I, I agree, but he, he made that point. Therefore, I should be the nominee because I could beat the Democrat. DeSantis likes to boast about his accomplishments in Florida. He should. He's the governor. But let's be honest. It was doing pretty dang good before he got there. That's one of them deals where you just say, hey, just don't screw anything up. Now, he could have, and he didn't. He stood out of the way. But I don't know that you can look and just say, oh, yeah, because of Ron DeSantis, Florida's booming. It was booming before then. From his talking points perspective, that's what got him the A. The I gave him the A minus because his delivery felt like I was being sold a samurai sword on QVC at two in the morning. I, I don't care for that either, and I think ultimately it will hurt him. He, he'll be cast by by the left and the Democrats is is just kind of a, an angry sort of figure, uh, and that will play a part in the general election should he be the nominee. Mo says there were states that changed their voting process by executive order rather than through the legislative process. Those states' electoral votes should not have been counted in 2020. Moses, is there something in federal law or the Constitution that says that? I don't know. I'm asking. And secondly, if that's the case, 
and they did violate some sort of federal statutes or the Constitution, somebody ought to sue. I mean, that's how you that's how you address those issues. You got to mount a lawsuit. You know that. So, um, let's see. There was something else I saw. Gerard, you're right again. My family is mainly right of center, and his behavior lost it for us. We're not alone talking about Trump. Uh, the hamster's still running on the wheel for Bernie, <laughs> says Josh from Laurel. Chris from Oxford, Lars, Lar- Lars Larson, he's an Oregonian, talks about the mail-in voting all the time because that's where he resides. Appreciate that, uh, Chris. George's candidates for governor reminded me of South Park when the only two candidates were a d- I can't say it. <laughs> I hear you, though, Jason. A feminine hygiene product <laughs> yeah. and a turd sandwich. Yeah, exactly. What really bothers me is we know Biden's not running this nation, but the administration and deep state. And I, it bothers me as well. But let's be honest. Um, that happens no matter who's president. I mean, that's a problem in the way our government's structured today. We have absolutely conferred too much dead gum power to the, as Vivek says, administrative is the way he pronounces. I, I pronounce administrative, but. That was one thing the gentleman. Can we just get politicians to understand it's fentanyl? Yeah, that's right. Or you could pronounce it slightly differently as fentanyl. That's the way I say it. Fentanyl. Right. Agree. Uh, I can actually read the past, and Trump will never be president in 2020. Sorry to bust everyone's bubble. Before that, this person said, my God, please drop the 2020 election. Trump will never be president in 2020. Stop looking in the rearview mirror. I, I agree, and I'm only bringing up because a lot of people still dwell on it. And I, I'm just simply trying to convey the message. I think it's in the best interest uh, of the Republicans to drop it. And didn't hear a lot about it last night other than the question, hey, do you think Pence did the right thing? I'm not sure that question should have even been asked, honestly. I, I, I don't really care about that at this point. Pence is going to tell you did Pence's anyhow. sitting there like he's waiting on the sombrero at the Mexican restaurant <laughs> for his birthday song. <laughs> I'm more worried about what are you going to do in the future, and nobody offered any, any details on that except, hey, we're going to drill as far as the economy is concerned. Okay, I agree, but there's a lot of a lot of other aspects is uh, to that as as well. I hear you say when with the Republicans need to resonate with the right people, the right areas. However, I think you need to be careful about compromising your beliefs. Not saying that. Um, I'm just saying that if you want to get power so that you can get stuff done, you got to change the message. We're out of here today. Back with you tomorrow. Stay safe. God bless. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.